You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Mark 12, 13. While you're turning there, we have a picture from last week from uh, Anderson Graff, Mark and Julie's granddaughter, right? Okay, all right. Anderson drew this for us from where we were at. We were last week beginning in chapter 12, that parable of the the tenants or the wicked tenants, really, that had no dis- no regard for the owner. And Anderson drew this. She's got the garden and the farm and the house and uh, this place where we were last week. So you can tell her her picture made it on the board this week. So um, that helps us know where we're at. We're talking in that that parable and, and the cornerstone, the one the builders rejected, becoming, becoming the cornerstone, the foundation. Let's read again from God's Word as you look into your copy of it. In the Mark chapter 12, I'll start in 13. We're going to go through 17 today. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius. Let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. Let me pray again. Lord, as we again enter... Your word as we spend the next 30, 45 minutes, however long, Lord, in your word, may you enlighten our hearts to the greatness of Christ once again. May that story, the old, old story of Christ, of your greatness, your love, your mercy and redemption of us to yourself, may it never grow old. And Lord, where it has, where other treasures have overtaken, Father, I pray in the next time we have in your word that those treasures would fade in light of your uh, exceedingly abundant glory. This is a work, Lord, to be done by your spirit. We can't oomph our way into this. We can't will our way into this. But we do come and we come and we ask and we pray that your spirit would illuminate the text before us Lord, that you guide the words I have to share, Lord. May they be a help towards understanding. May we all, like the Bereans, test what is said to see, Lord, does it match with your word? I myself, Lord, want to come under your word. Lord, what do you have to say? What do you have for us? So guide us in our time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to frame this account and where we're at of paying taxes to Caesar. You heard it there in what I read. Um, 
maybe in a bit more modern setting, just so that we get the feel of what was going on in this time and with this questioning. And maybe, maybe through this illustration, you'll get a feel of what's going on here. Imagine you were a citizen of the country of Germany in the 40s, 1940s. You're a citizen. Place yourself there, Germany, 1940s. For those history, we should all be getting to know this, right? Young ones, you're getting, hopefully we're getting good history. We're learning this, but you know that the conflict at the time, World War II, those are those days. Here you are, you're a citizen, and your leader is none other than Adolf Hitler. That's who's leading Germany at the time. We know him from history. Usually what comes to mind is we think of evil, we think of Hitler, we think of the atrociousness. I was looking up how many died in his, I mean, I think maybe numbers vary. I saw six, some six million Jews, I mean, six million Jews exterminated during the Nazi rule. Six million. We think of Hitler, we think of evil, as I said, and, and now you're the citizen. And the question comes to you, is it lawful to pay taxes to Hitler or not? Does that hopefully give you a sense of maybe what was going on here? That's a, a sense of the questioning. This wasn't just kind of a, you know, you think this is a good idea, kind of a random trivia question. Hey, do you think this is, this is, has serious implications, paying taxes to Caesar. We're going to see later the coinage and that sort of thing used but not just a random question. There was political implications for how Jesus would answer here. And as we get into this passage, we're going to look probably one of the most famous places and responses where Jesus says this, render to Caesar what is Caesar and to God what is God's. We've heard that before. We're going to think on that briefly really in 2018 terms. What does that look look like as we live as believers of the Lord Jesus Christ in our nation, in our world at this uh, point in time when our nation that abandons or is abandoning any godly moorings quickening every year right uh, world war ii dietrich bonhoeffer had to deal with wrestle with some of these same question, questions i think increasingly we will as well is it right is it wrong what do we render how do we render that sort of thing it's a good and this is a good place to be at And I believe what Jesus says here has implications for us in 2018 and 19 and 20 and the years as our young ones grow up in this world. And what does it look like to be a follower of Christ? And they form part of our ethic, how we think about government. But I also don't see that teaching as, I want to be careful to say, as the primary message of this section. Now, it's secondary. Don't, don't hear me saying Jesus' words are secondary at all. They're primary. All of God's word is primary. So he says pay taxes to Caesar. We learn from that and we want to. What I'm trying to do is look at what is 13 through 17? What's the whole idea? What's being said in this passage? It is talking about taxes and how we deal with government. But I, I think that's under kind of a... a what, I don't know how to describe it well. It's just a shell, a circle, an orb around this that's even more primary. Really what I see um, in here is really three main types. You could call them bullet points, three highlights. I'm calling them focus points for lack of any better term. Call them what you will. But there's kind of three areas. 
And I'm going to try to, at the end, hopefully we'll see, they tie together into really one, I think the word here would be marvelous, one marvelous glory going on with this section. And I hope we see that in the midst of saying, what do we do with taxes, Caesars, Trumps, who, who comes next, whatever, how do we deal with these things? I hope we see that. So if you're in the notes, there's about three. They really form verses 13 through 14 kind of form these three different focus points. And then as Jesus answers, he's going to address these points as we go along. Um, so let's go to the first one here. It's in verse 13. And then, like I said, hopefully by the end we'll, we'll attempt. I don't know. We'll see how we do it, tying them all together here. So verse 13, again, let's look at where we're at. They sent to him some of the Pharisees, some of the Herodians, to trap him in his talk. If you're keeping count at home, keeping track, here's more groups. I mean, we're just adding groups. It seems weekly uh, to this. We didn't, I don't think we did last week, but two more groups enter the stage of this questioning stage of chapter uh, 12 that we're in and prior in chap- at the end of chapter 11. Um, there we had the, the chief priests and the, the scribes and the elders, I think, that's the they. If you go back to um, right, chapter 11, verse 27, chief priests, scribes, elders came to him. That's the they. As we get into verse 13, this is the they, this group. This, we call them the Sanhedrin, this council, this, this Jewish-type leadership made up of various types of groups to govern the Jewish people and in the midst of Rome ruling over the Jewish people of the time, there's kind of this ruling council of Sanhedrin. That's the they. So we're filling in pronouns here. That's the they that sends these Pharisees and Herodians uh, to Jesus. Luke calls them spies. We'll see how good they are at their spy work. Not very good, we'll find. We've read that already. But the Pharisees we have met before. Their influence on the Jewish people, is that a kind of leaders of the law, the traditions, the oral, the written. We think of law. Remember the the traditions, the washings of the hands. We learned that earlier. I think it's in Mark 7, being clean, ceremonial clean, ceremonially clean. Uh, Politically, from what I find, the Pharisees are really leaning towards being a more anti-Roman anti-Herodian type group. They were not all for this Roman gods, right? I mean, they worship the Lord your God, him only. Here's Rome. They've got polythe, they've got many gods. The, the Pharisees here are really anti-Roman. And as I said, anti-Herodian, that, that means this Herod's family. And, um, this, this is a confusing mess, Herod's family. If you've ever tried to figure this one out, if you look in the books of the charts, they've got you know, there's lines and he killed off this person and this wife and he's got this many sons and then they're called Herod, but they're not Herod. So and so you, those that enjoy that, go look it up. Go. And and it's good. I'm not saying it's it's worthwhile because to understand what's going on. But it's like, you know, like we said of other, it's kind of a, this is soap opera of murders and power struggles. The lineage here of Herod is really, I think, it's a desire to rule the Jewish people. Who's going to rule this people, the the Jews in particular? And in order to do that, you've got to be sympathetic to Rome, the the overarching ruler of the area. And so Herod's people or Herodism, Herodians are really 
tied in with Rome. So you got the Pharisees more anti-Rome, and that leads us to our second group, the Herodians. Uh, really a group comprised of those, uh, one resource called them, it says they favored the policies of Herod Antipas, it's another Herod, and thus supported the Roman government. I mean, here's the rub, Pharisees, Herodians, one group, Pharisees, anti-Rome, one group, pro-Roman, but what are they doing? They're, they're coming together towards Jesus. It's that phrase, right? Uh, nothing brings enemies together, you know, as friends like a common enemy. These groups have a common enemy, a common one in Jesus who they see as a threat. They want to destroy him as we've read before. And so these, even these groups, seemingly opposite ends of a spectrum that would come together, they come and they're coming with a purpose. That's the second part of verse 13. Tells it right there is the purpose. You see the words, something like, uh, so that. I've got a little word, to, at the end of verse 13. To trap him in his talk. That's what they're desiring. They are seeking to trap or catch Jesus in his words. I mean, you think of a, of a trap, I think of maybe a critter type trap one of those square cages you know where you put i think it's right you put the food in the inside of it and the hopefully the whatever you're trying to get rid of smells that comes in and as soon as it eats the food the the door comes down and that animal is trapped and you've trapped it you think of these pharisees and herodians as doing the same thing they're almost laying out this trap and we're going to see at least what i think is some of the cheese some of the food they're going to put before jesus to maybe come in uh, to this trap and put before him. That's, I think, what they're working to be about. But like a really clever critter, Jesus will not be trapped. And we're going to see that. So verse 13 really forms this first focus point. I'm going to finish it at the end, but the first one is that there are those that are sent to trap Jesus. Those that are sent to trap Jesus. We're going to finish that at the end, but... That's the first kind of point. They're sent to trap Jesus. And now a second point comes in verse 14. And like I said, the setting of the trap, a tempting morsel, though it's insincere, right, comes before Jesus. Here's their speech. I'm just going to read the, the first part of verse 14. They came and said to him, Teacher, we know, I mean, hear trap language. Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. I mean, even the word teacher, they start out that way. Teacher. Do you think to this group, does that bear any weight to them? Do they really see Jesus as a teacher? Or to use the words, we know that you're true. You, we know you, you teach the way of God. It, right? They're not... They don't believe this for one minute. Otherwise, they'd be bowing in worship. This group wants to destroy Jesus. They lack faith in him uh, who has said he is true. They lack looking eyes to see him. They're really empty words of praise meant to lay groundwork, I think, to entice Jesus in a way. Entice him to just say something that will trap him. You know, oh, you, you know, kind of flatter. Maybe they'll kind of flatter him up and get him feeling good, like you teach the way. I do teach, you know, it's just like another temptation. What do we know? Jesus will not be, he defeats temptation. 
He will defeat these guys. Uh, look at now. I'm going to skip the last part of verse 14. I want you to look at verse 15. So he, here's um, here's the the Pharisees Herodians. They say in 14, "Teacher, we know." You can see that language in there. We know, and it goes on. Now look at verse 15. Here, here's the one that really knows. Jesus, uh, uh, the account says this, but knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, why put me to the test? You see the two knows, the two knowing in here? The opposition said, yeah, they knew Jesus was truth, that he taught truth. He didn't care about man's thoughts or opinions. And that is true, right? <laughs> They're speaking some truth. Do they believe it? No. It's truth there. He, he didn't. He was Jesus. But he says in verse 15, he's the one that really knew. He knew their hypocrisy. They were lying, and they didn't really know anything about Jesus. They were trying to trap him. But Jesus knew their double talk. He knew their trap. And so their trap is backfiring. He already knows what's going on. He knows what they're about. And Jesus asks them, uh, there in the beginning of verse 15, why put me to uh, the test? The word here for test, it can mean to, to try or to tempt. Could be saying, you know, why tempt me? The, they're enticing Jesus with this false praise. They're also, I think in a sense, they're trying Jesus in the court of public opinion. Remember the setting? They're in this, this courtyard and a trial is taking place with Jesus. He's in essence, what's he telling them here? He's saying, don't do this. I mean, by, by asking them, why do you do this? He's saying, don't do, don't be doing this. And yet forward they will go. They're unaware, blind and deaf to the glorious cornerstone, this great redeemer, the great cross-bearing savior right before them. And they will go forward. Okay, so the first, uh, those are trying to, they seek to trap Jesus. The second one here in this is you see the, uh, the Pharisees and Herodians, we know Jesus then answers that. No, I, I, I really know. You thought, no, you don't know. I know. That's who Jesus is. And so those who pretend to be sincere are fully known to Jesus. That would be the second one. Those who pretend to be sincere, no, Jesus fully knows them and you and I, by the way. And so now we get, we look at their question of tense testing, really forming the third focus point, the third point, and it's found in the second part of verse 14. I'll try to help you navigate this as I'm kind of picking parts uh, through this, through these kind of three segments, three points. So uh, the first part, I'm sorry, the second part of verse 14 is the question of the Pharisees and the Herodians. And their question to Jesus is, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or not? To understand the question they're asking, I think it's helpful to understand the political landscape of the day. Caesar, that's who they're asking about, ruler of Rome, emperor might say and they are the ones occupying this land of israel jesus when he was born there was a caesar his name augustus caesar augustus um 
one resource I looked at, when, when Caesar Augustus, um, on his birthday, his birthday, let's see, it says this, quote, his birthday was celebrated as the beginning of good news for the world. Maybe you've seen that before. I mean, here's, no, the true king had come, right? Cave, manger, Jesus. Here they talk of Caesar Augustus, the beginning of good news for the world. There were temples, uh, and temples were dedicated to Rome and Augustus. I mean, there, there's this deity, deification of these emperors, these rulers, kind of this, this lineage down from the gods. They're just seen, I think, as, as more divine. They're not just like, well, they're elected, they're a leader. There's this divinity that surrounds this Caesar, this emperorship of Rome. Now, in Jesus' day, the Caesar... Or in the Greek, it's Kaiser. You hear in there, Kaiser or Emperor was Tiberius. That's the Caesar of this. So there's Caesar Augustus. Jesus was born. That's changed by the time we're in right here. Caesar Tiberius. And so the question posed to Jesus, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? Really presents Jesus with two potentially bad answers. One either way is a bad answer. Potentially. Uh, with implications. If he answers that one should pay the tax to Caesar, you alienate the Jewish people who really oppose Caesar. Think of the Pharisees here. So, yes, we should pay. Well, there's going to be certain Jews don't they don't like that. They don't like that kind of language. But answer that you should not pay taxes to Caesar, and guess what? Now you now he's leading a rebellion. Now we know. I think either way, these guys don't care. Let's trap them somehow. I mean, come from this way or that way. Either answer, he's done for. He's going to lose credibility. Not Jesus. So the trap is set. Looks like there's no way out. And then we get to the second part of verse 15. I'll just start at 15, and let me read through 16. Uh, Jesus, we read this again, knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? And now here's what he tells them. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one and he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. So Jesus asks for a denarius. Day's day's wage is kind of the worth of that coin. And they give him one. And on the coin, along with everybody else, they're going to see some inscriptions and they're going to, they're going to see what this coin looked at. Now, we've got an image of it up here. Um, I asked our coin collector, I don't, maybe others have one of these. I'd love to see an actual one. I think you can buy these online, even on eBay. Uh, Dewey has some that are uh, they're newer, but they're still using denarii, that sort of thing um, uh, that he brought in. But this, is a, this is really the actual coin. This is so cool. We have a coin. From the time of Jesus, the coin. Now, is that the coin? No, we don't know that. But it's a coin from the time. This is uh, most likely what, when Jesus said, look at this, show me this, this is what they're looking at, this image right here. Now, I'm sure you can all read the circular writing on here. Um, I couldn't really, but let me try and translate it for you. Here's the one side, the one with the Tiberius on it. Remember we said Caesar Tiberius. Some of it's kind of abbreviated, but if you work on it, in a while you kind of figure it out but here's what it basically says it says caesar augustus tiberius so he's got the 
the middle name, son of the divine Augustus. Kind of son of the, you hear that? Son of the deity of Augustus. So there was Caesar Augustus. Now there's this uh, Caesar Tiberius. Not a blood son, but almost like adopted into Augustus' family. Becomes Caesar Tiberius. Here it is, son of divine Augustus. All right, well, that's, that's no good for the Jewish people, right? One God, we serve him only. Here's another divinity, another divine, another deity, I should say. Okay, the other side, um, you might be able to read Maxim, Pontiff, uh, Pontiff Maximus. Maybe you've heard before Pontiff, kind of the, uh, the high one, the high priest, uh, so maxim like great pontiff high the highest uh, highest priest I think it's the picture the ESV study Bible says a picture of the goddess of peace but here's here's again language that to to the Jewish person high priest huh we we ha- right not to them so this is why this is so um, fiery type questioning and what might get Jesus in trouble. The, the coinage, really, it's truly anti the God of Israel is what he's showing them. Thank you, guys. So Jesus, now with this question, and he shows them, uh, he gives his answer in verse 17, the one we're familiar with. Jesus said to them, looking at this coin, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Jesus is saying if the coinage, the denarius, has the inscription of Caesar on it, then it stands to reason that to him the tax is owed. If it's got his face on it, go ahead and pay him. But then Jesus also adds that what has God's inscription and image on it is to be given to God, which we should ask, what has God's image and what is God's? You would be right to say everything, all of creation is owned by its maker and owes allegiance to to him who is the Lord. A couple verses. Psalm 19.1. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. It's God. You look up. That's God's sky you're looking at. We enjoy a beautiful morning. It's God's morning he made. Enjoy food, fields, rain. It's God's. He made it. It's his creation. And so too we, Genesis one twenty seven. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. In reality, Caesar, Tiberius, or any Caesar, only has coinage based on the allowance of the king of heaven. His face is only there because that's how God has foreseen it. Caesar only rules at the permission and will of God. So we talked about 2018. How do we look at this? Render to Caesar, render to God. How do we look at this in our year and years to come? Romans 13 calls us to be subject to the governing authorities. So thankfully, this passage is not the only one. We have the entirety of Scripture to say, okay, we need more or more help, more is available, Romans 13, um, to be subject to the governing authorities who have been instituted by God. Now, there's a similar section in 1 Peter. I'd like you to go there. 1 Peter chapter 
2 similarly says it, and I think it helps us in light. And again, just seeing Mark writing this gospel, Peter behind this, and so it's always good to check on Peter and what he said elsewhere. So the book of First uh, Peter chapter 2, and I'm going to read verses 13 through 17. First Peter 2, 13 through 17. In light of this emperor language, I think hopefully you'll find this intriguing, interesting, and enlightening on, on what we're even studying in Mark 12 here. So verse 13, First Peter 2, 13, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme. So here, this guy wants to deify himself or you have other deity. Peter, what, whether it be the emperor as supreme, verse 14, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. In verse 17, really, honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Whoa, I mean, we put in there, honor, let's put in our, we're German citizens. Honor, Hitler, put in place. Okay, here we have other scriptural instances where there's non-submission. Think of the, the Hebrew midwives uh, back in Pharaoh's day in, when, when Israel was in the land of Egypt. And, and the Pharaoh said, you know, kill all the males that come out. Did they do that? No, they let them, they let them live. Israel multiplied. Moses came through that. They did not obey. Um, Acts 4, Peter himself wrote this. The leaders of the Jewish people, probably the Sanhedrin again, they tell Peter and John, hey, stop speaking about Jesus, that name. Here's how Peter responds. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And the text says, rather than obey the counsel, they prayed to continue to speak the word with boldness. Uh, there are challenging things with this, right? How do, we, how do we honor Caesar, honor the emperor, honor 1 Peter 2, but what about is there a point where there's resistance and where we, we go against what they desire? And, and thinking of Mark 12, render to Caesar's. Okay, well, how much is his? How much is God? Some of these questions. I don't have clear answers. I don't think there are certain clear-cut, easy answers. A fellow named Dietrich Bonhoeffer in World War II wrestled with what I presented to you. I'm with the church, and how do I do this? I'd recommend. It's a big, thick book by Eric Metaxas. Read it. He wrestles through that. He was a pastor, theologian. It wasn't easy treading for him. So I only submit a couple thoughts to you and I'm sure there's more, and more learned men could say more, but here's a couple thoughts. As we think about submitting to the authority God has put in place, and then is there a time when we need to render to God what is God's? I believe there is. 
first, what would we do? Pray. Well, of course, right? Well, maybe not. Pray. Seek God. What God, what do you want me to do? I'm torn. My government's saying to do this. You know, closer than we think, right? Some of us, we know that. What do I do, Lord? The government says this. Your word, how do I, how do I honor in this? Pray. I think another one, fear God above man. I think that prepares us for anything. We fear God, so we fear God. We read these, honor the emperor. Okay, yeah, I mean, <laughs> look at this. First Peter 2 puts them right together. Fear God, honor the emperor. They're, they're right together. So fear God above man. Number three, um, the word normally is a good word. Normally, submission to the authorities is what God calls us to. I think that's a normal sense. I mean, we look at Jesus, this coin of Caesar. There's a sense of if it's his, give it to him. You pay taxes, give him taxes. Okay, this is not a sermon about getting loopholes out of taxes, right? Pay taxes. Normally, submission, I think, is what God calls us to. But then, in the midst of that, we prepare as believers to face persecution as Peter and John did what we need to speak of, we cannot but speak of this message. We must speak of the message of Jesus. In His Word, all of His Word are the words of Jesus. Do we believe all of them? All of them are. Will we follow them? Some of you are following much more than I, but the, the legislation right now in California, I think from what I read, it has passed the assembly. It hasn't passed the Senate yet, though probably. Um, dealing with making it illegal in California to sell books that would turn somebody or help to change them from homosexual desires or or transgenderism and that sort of thing. The desire to outlaw books that would do that. That's a short step from outlawing that to speaking about it or speaking. God's truth about those things. It's present. It's in California. We know it's California. But how soon till here, right? And how soon is that going? I mean, quickening pace that's going on. I don't know, church, what we will face in this year even. Let us be a church that we're normally in submission. I follow the laws. I follow the speed limit. Those sorts of things. It's a normal stance. But Lord, give us guidance when the state is asking me to do something that you clearly prohibit me from doing, give me courage to fear you more than man and to say I cannot but speak of the things of the Lord. May we prepare. I think today is a day of preparation for our hearts for that time. Well, back to Mark chapter 12. As we look back over this passage, look again at kind of our three focus points, call them what you will. Those who trap Jesus, we looked at them. We'll see them in a minute. Number two, there's those that pretend to be sincere, but they're fully known. Jesus fully knows them. Then there are number three, I don't think I uh, spoke it well, but those asking about government submission find an answer in Jesus. He has answers. We can go to him. And then verse 17, and I think this is what really brings home this 
encapsulating what is this about. There we are. So they tell them in the beginning, their, seek, their purpose is to trap Jesus. At the end, what is the last words in this section? They marveled at him. They marveled at him. Their mouths are hanging open, so to speak, at this short and great answer that he has given. The question has been, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Jesus answers marvelously. And once again, the leadership of the day leaves empty-handed. And they would until Judas would agree and set up um, uh, later on to set up to deceive and for them to really trap Jesus later on. So I think in the midst, that's why I say in the midst of a discussion on government and paying taxes, which we need to really think about and be prepared for, there's a greater theme and a greater glory going on before these enemies, and it's Jesus. They told in Sunday school, again, I think if our study in the book of Mark, and if you hear week by week and you say, boy, it seems like we kind of keep coming back to the same thing, the same theme of Jesus, that's right. That's who the Bible is about. We ought to continue to come back and look at his greatness. And they marvel at him. Look up, I mean, just look up on your page to Mark 12, 10 through 11, uh, where Jesus had told that parable last week that we studied. He said, have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Same Greek word, marvelous, down to the end of our section, marvelous. The marvelous one is in the temple. He has come. And yet those that oppose are blind to see him. So, I want to encourage you towards this cornerstone, this marvelous one, this Jesus. You who have Christ, consider the riches, and I'll list some out. Consider the riches of His Spirit that lives within you, that you are united to Christ. The same one that answers and knows and speaks with authority and speaks with direction, that you in Christ are united to Him. What can you do? You can trust Him to lead you to good and right answers when life around you has questions you feel you cannot answer. Who has the answers here? Jesus does. He has good and perfect and right answers. That's who we need to look for. We say, I don't know. I don't have an answer. I don't know how. Seek Jesus. For the question, who answers well? This text answers uh, Jesus Secondly, lean on Jesus when you face a government and culture abandoning any sense of a fear of God. Lean on Jesus. Pray and look in the words of Jesus. Look in the Scriptures for guidance. Who is to guide you in that moment when you face that, in, perhaps in your business, in your school, in your family, when there's a choice between following Jesus and following the world, Lord, what do I do? Find His guidance in His Word and look to Jesus. Lastly, know that Jesus knows your heart deeper than what you show on the surface. If He knows the Pharisees, He knows they were pretending to know Him, then Jesus knows you too. He knows your fears. He knows your pretending. 
He knows you're striving. He knows all that stuff inside. So what do you do with someone who knows you? You pray for his leading and power within. Lord, you know the darkness of my heart. You know what I'm prone to do. You know my failings. You know when I'm faking it. And somebody says, how you doing? And I say, I'm fine, right? And you go, Lord, I know things are not fine. You know that, Lord, help me in my heart. You know what's going on. So who knows you? From our text, who knows you? Jesus does. My encouragement is to build your life on the marvelous cornerstone of Jesus. It's a stone that can't be moved. It's an anchor for your soul. It's a light for your darkness. A hope for a lostness in sin. Marvel at your Savior and then trust in His good and sovereign ways. Let's pray together. Father, whom have we in heaven but You? You know the answers. You know our hearts. You give us direction. You've graciously given us Your Word. So we look to You. I pray, Lord, this week when we're tempted to look for advice elsewhere. And you tell us, look within your body, ask others, ask your body. So we want to look by looking to others in your fellowship. We are, in a sense, looking to you. But Lord, all of that centers on looking to your word. May we be, again, a people of your word that study it not to know, again, chapter and verse, although those are good things. Lord, help us to know your word, that we know Christ, we know your heart, We're being conformed to your image. And we thank you that you're at work amongst us doing that in us. Because you began a good work, you're to be faithful to complete it. So we look to you, Lord. And I pray for us as a church body, each one of us, that perhaps will face persecution in a house because they are a Christ follower. Persecution in a business because they follow Jesus or persecution at school and suffering because they're a follower of Christ. Lord, in that day, in that moment, would they stand strong and what you give them by your spirit to say, may they say it with boldness because they know Jesus. Prepare us for that day, Lord. May we not be anxious. Tell us don't be anxious about anything. We know you put all powers in control, even Caesar's. And as hard as it is to understand, you put Hitler's. You are sovereign over all things, Lord. Help us to submit to you and to know our place, in particular, our place in these United States as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to fear you, God, and to honor the emperor. We pray for your help in Jesus' name. Amen.